The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 58 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Our main story? Some new research suggests the coronavirus could have mutated into a more contagious strain. But the truth may not be that cut and dry. We'll discuss what it really means that the virus is changing. But first, here's what happened today. The U.S. unemployment rate more than tripled in April to 14.7%. In what was the harshest downturn in history for American workers, employers cut 20.5 million jobs. We now have the highest jobless rate since the Great Depression. The losses were brought on by coronavirus forcing the economy to a halt two months ago. They erase a decade of job growth and show how precarious employment is for huge swaths of Americans. The jobs report showed an outsized impact on lower-paid workers, as well as women and minorities. Spain reported its biggest increase in new cases in nearly a week, as the country goes through the first phase of a plan to relax its lockdown after eight weeks of confinement. Portugal, which began easing confinement measures on Monday, reported a bigger increase in new cases for a third day on Friday. New complaints allege chipmaker Intel compromised worker safety at some of its factories to keep churning out semiconductors in the midst of the pandemic. Intel kept staff in an Arizona plant working closely with employees who had tested positive according to people who work there. The sources say factory managers also didn't test workers and dismissed concerns that social distancing guidelines were not being followed properly. The company said it responded with new policies to improve employee safety and kept factory output high because its products are essential. Finally, the World Health Organization discussed its latest thinking on where the virus came from today. The novel coronavirus belongs to a group of viruses that begin in bats. It probably arrived in humans through contact with animals they were raising as food, according to the WHO, though it's unclear through which species. Cats and ferrets are susceptible to the virus, and dogs to a lesser extent. And it's important to find which animals can get it to avoid creating a reservoir in another species. President Donald Trump has suggested that the virus came from a lab in China. But scientists who have studied the issue maintain that the virus originated in an animal and probably entered the human population in November. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. And now, our main story. Last week, researchers at the Los Alamos National Laboratory released alarming news. At least one variant of the virus that causes COVID-19 had significantly mutated to become more contagious. If true, this would have major implications. A new variant could, for example, hamper efforts to develop a vaccine or mean that people who've already had COVID-19 might face a greater risk of getting it again. But critics said the data didn't support such a big claim. And some accused the scientists of sensationalizing. Reporter Kristen V. Brown discusses the implications of a changing virus and what we should make of this and other controversial findings. So... What does it mean when a virus mutates? So viruses are constantly mutating. Viruses replicate by copying themselves, and they are not very good at it. So when they copy themselves, they make these little tiny errors. And most of the time, those errors are insignificant. They don't really mean anything. Don't change the way the virus operates. Occasionally, you get these changes that are what we call a functionally significant mutation. And that's where things get interesting. When do these mutations actually mean something for us as humans? They call them functionally significant mutations because the virus has mutated in a way that makes it behave differently. So that behavior could mean all different kinds of things. It could mean that It can enter a new species, right? It could mean that it affects different kinds of people. It could mean that it latches on to its host cell in a more efficient way. But something about that mutation means that the virus now behaves differently from the version of the virus that existed before. And those are the mutations that scientists, drug makers, policymakers, are really looking out for when it comes to SARS-CoV-2, because those are the mutations that could change the way we respond to the virus. Have we seen mutations already happen with the coronavirus? So we've cataloged over 7,000 coronavirus mutations, and there are probably many, many thousands more that we have not cataloged. But a paper last week caused a bit of a stir because it suggested that one of those mutations was functionally significant. So the coronavirus has these little spiky pieces, and those spiky bits are proteins that allow a virus to latch onto a host cell. So the mutation these researchers found was in that part of the virus, in the part that latches on to a host cell. And that's why they took a closer look at it. Why are they focusing on this mutation? What they theorized here is there's the original form of the virus that came out of Asia, and there is what appears to be a new form of the virus in Europe with this mutation, 
and that European form of the virus seems to be gaining a lot of ground. So they theorized that this mutation in the part of the virus that latches onto host cells was actually making the virus able to spread more efficiently. That's a pretty big claim that all of a sudden you have this virus that's even more robust than the original Asian SARS-CoV-2, which is already extremely contagious. So you're saying that there are actually two different forms of the virus. The form that emerged in China is different than the form of the virus that we saw in, say, Italy. Researchers are able to use these mutations, these really small incremental mutations, and basically do like a family tree for the virus, right? And as they've done this family tree, it's seemed like there are two forms of the virus. The original one that came out of Asia and one that has emerged in Europe as the virus has mutated over time. And interestingly, in the United States, we actually have both forms of the virus. On the West Coast, we seem to primarily have gotten the Asian form of the virus. And on the East Coast, it's the European form. And we've seen both sort of mix and mingle here in the U.S. But so there are what appears to be these two forms of the virus. And the researchers were looking at the European form and trying to figure out if there is anything significant about it that might explain why the European form has overtaken this Asian form in some places. Is there any way to know, for example, if you have COVID-19, if you have the Asian form or the European form? They would have to sequence the virus, right? Because these variants are still tiny bits of genetic code. So I don't think at this point that you can go get a coronavirus test and they can be like, oh, you have the Asian coronavirus. What's the takeaway in terms of knowing that there are these multiple forms? So the big question right now is actually, does it matter that there are two forms? It's interesting from the perspective of then you can track how the virus moves around the world, right? We can track that the virus went to Europe from Asia and then evolved to become slightly different. And then that that virus came to the United States. So that helps epidemiologists understand how the virus is moving. And that's interesting and important just for basic research to allow us to get a handle on how this virus operates. But the big question is, does the specific mutation mean anything? And like many things with the novel coronavirus, at the current moment, we actually just don't know. And that's what's kind of scary, because it is very possible, what these researchers posit is very possible, that there is a mutation in this European virus that has allowed it to spread more quickly, and that that mutation is in this really key part of the virus. The key part of the virus it's in is the part that attaches to a human cell, right? That's also the part of the virus that we target when we make vaccines. So if you have a virus that has mutated, there's a question, for example, of will that vaccine now work on the European virus? And we don't know the answer to those questions right now. But these researchers were like, hey, this looks really interesting. It could potentially be important. We need to look at this so we know that we're developing treatments and vaccines that actually work for the form of the virus that's becoming more dominant. And how did drug makers react to the news about this mutation? So interestingly, drug makers at this point feel like this particular mutation does not matter, that they have not seen anything that suggests that the versions of vaccines that they're developing 
will not work with the European form of the virus. So there's all this debate over how meaningful this area of the virus is in terms of the significance of that mutation. So it sounds like there's still a lot of confidence that if a vaccine can be created, it can treat both the European and the Asian form of the virus. Right. Right now, drug makers do not see anything that worries them, anything that makes them think that the version of vaccines they're developing based on the Asian form of the virus will not treat the European version. But there's debate. There's questions that need to be answered to ensure that that's true. Because if they turn out to be wrong, then we can have really catastrophic outcomes. That was Bloomberg's Kristen V. Brown. And that's our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is hosted by me, Laura Carlson. The show is produced by me, Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, and Magnus Henriksen. Today's main story was reported by Kristen V. Brown. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Schein. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.